0: This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story
1: Podcast. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories.
0: And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories.
1: Today we're talking about the psychology of story, and we have an actual psychologist with us, Dr. Andrea Ledimendi. And Andrea, you are someone who spends your time and your days actually working through the human condition, working through people figuring out their own life uh, narrative, but you do so much more. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you spend your time.
2: Well, thank you so much. It's it's really an honor to join you too and, and to talk about the psychology of storytelling. Um, I, I feel like I wear many hats. Uh, the main thing I do as a clinical psychologist is to uh, work with therapists, work with patients, and to uh, essentially, I specialize in mental health interventions, in particular for folks who have histories of trauma who have clinical anxiety Um, so I really emphasize the uh, clinical psychology part of my degree that I'm I'm sort of in the business of mental health illness Um, but of course the flip side of that is is wellness and health and so um, often I will uh, utilize my knowledge to uh, to speak on panels, uh, to do some public speaking events, to, uh, to do a little bit of charity work and of course to go to uh, pop culture conventions, comic conventions and, and to really um, help folks to see the psychology or psychological science if you will that, are, um, th- that those themes are abundant in narratives like superhero stories, science fiction, fantasy um, what I would consider now is is uh, is a huge component of our of our media.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, and you, I, I love that you get specific about uh, talking about this in the superhero world. You uh, host a a popular podcast called the Arkham Sessions, and what is the what are the Arkham? What Sessions? are they?
2: <laughs> what are the Arkham Sessions? Our podcast uh, is all about the psychology of Batman, and we are focusing on Batman the animated series, oh. uh, the well-known, um, hugely important, uh, h- historically important part of uh, the Batman universe, and and certainly meaningful for me because I, I grew up watching the show. And so, episode by episode, we will um, we will take the narrative from the animated series and what I'll do is I'll lift the psychological science out of that mm. and talk about you know um, you know does Harvey Dent have bipolar disorder um, can Killer Croc recover from that traumatic event uh, what's going on with the Joker what's going on with Batman <laughs> um, we often just draw back go right back to what's going on with Batman and so my co-host Brian Ward and I uh, essentially will take what we believe is Awesome storytelling from the animated perspective, and and just uh, really highlight the psychological science from those stories, and and to hopefully to try to not just entertain but also to educate folks about psychology.
1: Yeah, you know, why do you believe it is that we we gravitate so towards narrative that it seems like uh, we we almost need some sort of story that we fit into or some sort of story about our lives to make sense. Um, what, you know, you, you deal with people every day who are trying to make sense of their lives and, and, and find some sort of narrative, uh, in their own lives. What is it about, is it, is it just something in the, uh, you know, amygdala that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that screams for that? Or what, why do we need story?
2: I, I, well, I certainly don't, don't have all the answers, but part of my perspective on this is that, um, we're, we're just thirsty for meaning. Like mm-hmm. we want we want structure, we want organization, we want all of our life events to make sense. Mm-hmm. And so we do that through relationships. Mm-hmm. We do that with uh, social support. We do that um, through our creative passions, right? So a lot of that has to do with the stories that, um, that we hold so close to us that, that we really care about. And so just to kind of get personal here, you know, for me, um superhero stories growing up were hugely important because they taught you that you could be a little bit different, mm-hmm. or that you could be flawed in in some way, but you have meaning or, um, you know, you you haven't reached your potential yet. You have a, an origin story. Mm. and you'll you'll be able to live out um, you know, what what your dreams are. So I, I think it's that idea of, um, you know, aspiring to be something and learning that, if you know if if you if you have the opportunity to connect to those stories and other people connect to those stories then you you begin to develop that meaning Mm
1: -hmm. so good it's almost a a standard in storytelling that if you give your character a secret uh, it it is it is uh, very rewarding to an audience to uh, then see that secret eventually become revealed or or uh, the the character have to reveal you know the secret, obviously with superhero stories, um, secret identities and and secrets about the origin you know of where a character comes from are uh, are hugely important. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of the psychology of secrets and secret identities and you know why people. Um, uh, utilize those things for, for both good and bad yeah. purposes.
2: So kind of like the alter egos mm-hmm. or the masks, um, the capes and cowls. Yes. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, I think like you said, there could be multiple reasons. I think that we, this plays out in our lives anyway, you know, where um, we present ourselves in multiple ways and in social psychology, this is a huge area of, of research and, and it's well understood that we kind of... Um, we're constantly shifting in our identity depending on our social context and depending on our comfort levels um, and depending on kind of you've mentioned ghosts before like the Mm -hmm. the ghosts that are following us and 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 the burdens we carry the trauma that that are in our histories so I think that there could be multiple reasons but much of that I think is navigated or the person is motivated by typically what I would think is that level of uncertainty or fear, right? So what, you know, if, if, if uh, this person who's close to me knows about this history or this traumatic event or this uh, therapeutic relationship I have or this hobby that I have, I mean, this is something I struggled with um, in my early 20s. I love comics, I love superheroes, but at that time, I, you know, not everyone did. It was, it was very different right mm-hmm. the 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 days were were not uh, we, we weren't constantly being bombarded by uh, superheroes like we are now and so i i f- definitely felt that i had to wear masks and to kind of keep that um hidden from from certain folks and and in your experiences as academics as um as folks who are in various circles you may have to negotiate those parts of yourselves to, um, to really, I think, to, to succeed in a way. So I think that most people are doing that in some way. Mm. And um, what in my field we typically identify as problematic is when a person isn't really able to negotiate those selves mm. um, in the same way that Batman <laughs> and Bruce Wayne have difficulty <laughs> negotiating uh, and integrating those selves, right? So it either mm. causes distress or it causes identity confusion, or it causes depression, mm. or it causes severe anxiety, um, self doubt, mm. even suicidal thoughts. Right. Yeah. So, so those those fragments of the self, uh, if they're in constant, uh, you know, what I would say that they're not in sync, uh, they're ego dystonic, if you will, then that can can, can really impact a person.
0: Yeah. So I watched your TEDx talk, uh, I think it was at UCLA? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Really powerful, I thought it was really amazing. So it it, uh, stirred up all kinds of things inside of me. So I really appreciated the words that you had to say. You talked a lot about taking off your own personal mask and that being a very important step in, in your journey. Um I'd love to hear a little bit about that, but also, um, I'm curious the this the moment of taking off the mask is do you think that's an important moment in superhero stories? Is that something that's uh, is that a trope in super superhero stories yeah. that's necessary?
2: I mean, I can start with that because yeah. I absolutely you're right. I think that um removing the mask is is usually yeah, it's very symbolic it it's when the hero is disclosing something to someone they care about usually mm. right so mm-hmm. it has a lot of impact a lot of meaning and could lead to um rejection could lead to judgment could lead to a disruption mm-hmm. in the relationship right so so that moment or those moments of revealing a part of oneself is in terms of their identity in terms of of their relationships is is a huge part of their narrative mm-hmm. and i think and i'm not as well versed in storytelling and the rules of storytelling but i feel like those are moments where
1: you you really start
2: to see that dramatic turn Mm -hmm. um and and for me it it wasn't necessarily like one day i just told everybody all my (laughs) i just opened up my closet (laughs) and i was like this is everything (laughs) um but it was uh the way that i tell my story is that it was becoming more stressful to keep those Mm. selves separate and I was in more distress doing that than if I was just my authentic self like you know and and so that for me was I mean it took time but that for me was the realization like this is just too much stress on me and causing me to feel anxious and causing me to feel like I'm an imposter like Mm -hmm. I can't even be any of myself because I just feel like a fake yeah and so that was heavy. That uh-huh. that really was sort of the heaviest part. I was in grad school. I was, you know, grad school it just in and of itself is really stressful. It can be a really dark period. Um, all of your friends are, you know, making salaries and getting to their careers. And, and you're just spending many years <laughs> with a with, uh, very, very uh, low, I want to say, like uh, assistant uh, salary. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word without being too disparaging of to people who might be getting their PhD right now. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really tough. And then to think that, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to come into my own. I'm supposed to enter into this career. And yet – oh, and by the way, I'm going to be a psychologist. And yet I'm completely effed <laughs> up, right? So right. <laughs> that whole uh, kind of imposter syndrome um identity crisis was huge for me because i'm supposed to be well i'm supposed to have my s together i'm supposed to be like you know to be knowledgeable and i couldn't even um integrate all of these um sort of like conflicting feelings and and selves together so um so for me it was about understanding that i should boldly just be who i am and for folks in my you know in my graduate school or in in my professional spheres like for folks who just don't like it or don't get it or judge me or reject me that's just going to be it I Mm. just need to you know I just need to cope with that Mm. because that is you know going to be less uh, painful than continuing to do this Mm. for what at that point I was thinking like is this for life am I just going to have to be this fragmented because it's you know it's really taking a toll
0: yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to need a therapy session after this. So. <laughs> oh,
1: it's, it's so good because I think what you're, <clears throat> what you're saying applies so much to the characters we create, but honestly, it applies to every single writer that I know. Yeah. Because, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. really, writers become writers because there's something fragmented inside of us that we got to start dealing with, you know, somehow. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I, I would love just to explore a little more of what you're talking about there because I feel like any writer listening to this show right now is shaking their head saying yes yes that's me that's me um, when when you begin to come out if you will you know in, into the full version of yourself um, what were did any of your worst fears about that come true? Did Did you have to face anything uh, down that uh, was like, this is exactly why I didn't reveal myself? <laughs> <laughs> Should have kept the mask on. <laughs> right,
2: yeah. No, I mean, I was actually really surprised mm-hmm. that um, folks in my life were, were actually really accepting mm-hmm. and... And folks who would approach me who I, who weren't in my life, like what I learned is that folks would um, would be curious about it mm-hmm. in in a healthy way, you know, not in a judgmental way. And I should probably tell the story about um, DC Comics because that that really motivated this direction. Um, at, at the time, uh, it was a few years ago. I'm not sure. Uh, for folks listening, if they remember the New 52 uh, re- rebooting, if you will, of, of many DC characters, one character that uh, that was going to have a shift in her story was uh, Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl. And Gail Simone, who was uh, writing Batgirl at the time, reached out to me. And, uh, it, and we had some previous, I think, uh, correspondence, email exchange. You know, we, we hadn't worked together before. And in, in such a, a open, respectful, and validating way, she reached out and said, you know, I know you're a psychologist. Uh, I'm writing this um, arc here where Barbara is recovering from uh, what many folks know as, like, one of her most traumatic events, the Joker breaking into her home, shooting her, um, and what many of us would agree on, she was also sexually assaulted. Mm. And in this... Uh, in this kind of uh, retelling of that story rather than recover completely. I'm sorry, rather than rather than uh, recover psychologically and unfortunately be paralyzed and become Oracle, which is what uh, which is what her story was before this, she would um, physically recover, but psychologically continue to Mm -hmm. be haunted by Mm -hmm. this trauma. So... Uh, so Gail had asked me some questions you know what does recovery look like what does therapy look like and in for a patient like this Mm -hmm. and at the time I was working or I had had many years uh, had been working with soldiers who I've returned from Iraq and Afghanistan Mm -hmm. with with physical and psychological injuries and so the story of of uh, Barbara Gordon's trauma was something that was very realistic mm. and so it was very matter of fact or, or at least very accurate and would, would give uh, Gail some context and, and you know just kind of um, environmental examples of what, what that you know since it's comics what the art would look like and then also the dialogue what, what would this person as a patient um, deal with and how would she respond to someone supporting her throughout this therapeutic relationship and so this was a a really wonderful exchange that i had with her and i never i think looking back i should have guessed that this story would would involve me more but i at the time i was just happy to be involved with dc comics And um, and then it was published and and the psychologist treating Barbara Gordon was me. Like it was a (laughs) a lady who was her clinical psychologist and my name was on the door. And um, and it was kind of an out of body, like really out of body, onto page (laughs) experience for me. And so, you know, I usually tell folks when I tell this story, I usually emphasize that, okay, while. While it was hugely meaningful to me and very personal, because obviously that's a depiction of what I do, it was also a bigger thing. It was about uh, depicting mental health in a very positive way, and it was showing uh, a superhero seeking therapeutic services, Mm. asking for help, and, and battling with that psychological recovery, which I think isn't really touched upon as much Mm-mm. in in comic book narratives. So I think the the bigger aspect there was here we're really championing that, that relationship and the idea that therapy and therapists and psychologists don't have to be villains yeah. in these mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and that it's an ongoing process, right? She didn't go see her once and then she was cured. Mm-hmm. She is still to this day uh, battling with some of those Um, insecurities and those fears and thoughts and that's incredibly realistic so so you know full circle uh, to answer your question uh, in a more succinct way when my name was going to be in a comic I think that I realized I I need to to really um, be my authentic self and folks are going to know about this and also folks are going to know about my relationship with comics and I was doing other things as well I was cosplaying I was going to comic conventions and I was it was not really um you know not really using my psychologist um I don't know name I wasn't using my real name I was sort of Mm -hmm. just trying to disappear into the crowd so to Mm -hmm. speak and this was a way for for me to integrate those professional and personal selves and realize that like, wait a minute, there's something meaningful here for me and maybe it could be meaningful for other people who want to read those stories and want to know more about those, um, you know, those narratives that aren't really talked about as much. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sort of felt like I have... I have purpose. It's like a superhero story, right? Like, oh, that's my origin story. Now I have purpose. Yeah. I'm supposed yeah. to do this.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Man, that's a good
2: story. <laughs> <laughs> and can we
1: also real quick give a plug? Um, Gail Simone has a book out called Clean Room right now that I think is one of the best titles in the comic world that uh, for a lot of writers ask me, hey, if I don't know a lot about comics, but I kind of want an entry point into some interesting stuff i don't know about superheroes if if you think you want something gritty and uh are not into superheroes uh gail simone's clean room is a great place to start for writers who are looking to uh explore a new medium in comics so uh just while we're on the subject (laughs) of the brilliance of gail simone let's, uh, (laughs) let's plug her new book because it's it's unbelievably good um could we just continue in in this vein just for for a moment here you you you've talked a lot about fear and you know jeremy and i uh talk a lot about fear uh when we talk about characters and developing characters and uh what motivates you know a character and that so often uh, a story is about a character coming to terms with some sort of internal fear that they have however One of the things that we really push writers uh, away from is creating a character who's incapable of change. So for example, Jeremy and I, when we we do writer's workshops or when we teach students, one thing that we do not let students do if they're writing a short film or a short piece, we do not let them make the protagonist an alcoholic or a schizophrenic or a demon-possessed person because we feel like a character has to be capable of choosing to change, and these wow. are the characters that don't can't choose to change, especially not in five or ten minutes. I'm just not going to buy yeah. that, that a character can change, you know, in five or ten minutes. So, um, even in a two-hour feature, you really have to sell me on the idea that someone has overcome alcoholism or or some sort of uh, mental health issue. In two hours, that that's a tough mm-hmm. sell, you know, for me. So, can you talk a little bit about um, about people's ability to change and maybe the elastic nature of, of people when it comes to uh, being able to change? Because I think we as writers can learn a lot uh, about how to really accurately portray these things. Sometimes, and maybe even to make the question more specific, when you're working with a patient, do you, you know? What are the milestones you might look for? as saying this is this is cha- change ten percent? You know, this is right. turning the wheel ten percent. It's not a hundred and eighty degrees, right? But it's a ten percent change. Can you talk about? Yeah, that? Yeah,
2: and and by the way, this is like a million dollar question in my field. Like, if we absolutely knew what could uh, lead to change, how we know that change is happening? I mean, we would we would mm. be we would be doing better. So every year at WonderCon and Comic Con. Uh, I'm on a panel with other scientists, and uh, we talk about, it's the science of science fiction, we talk about the accuracy, the veracity of science, in uh, typically in science fiction movies and in superhero movies. And it's interesting that um, when I'm asked to speak to the accuracy of the mind, I, I compare it to... Uh, Some of these harder, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes for folks who can't, (laughs) you know, for listeners. Uh, The harder sciences, you know, when they're talking about space exploration and they're talking about um, interstellar. Like there are some folks on the panel who advise on some of these these blockbuster movies. And um, what I usually say is like, well, the mind is kind of like space, right? Like you you can't go wrong if you're writing about uh, a person's psychology there is. You have so much. You know, it's limitless. You can talk about so many things. You can create so much. The moment you put a label, a diagnostic label, on that that person, then you have really caged yourself in. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not saying. You know, so I kind of agree that's with good. you. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not saying you you shouldn't be writing characters who have bipolar disorder, who ha- sure. who are, um, you know, struggling with schizophrenia. But I am saying that once you decide, like, that's the story I want to tell and you have to do your research and you have to stay within that realm and you might limit yourself with what you want that person to look like and the change that you want that person to experience. And I think good writers will be able to still tell that story, Mm. maybe without the label, Mm. but with the same struggles, Mm. with the breaks in reality, Mm. uh, their uncertainty about whether, you know, what they're seeing is real or, or not. You know, that that might be schizophrenia but I- if you don't rely on that label you just have so much more space to um to explore if you will yeah. Yeah. Um, and so i tend to usually lean on that as as an, my suggestion yeah um and then to answer your question about you know change we in in the field um certainly when we're talking about Directive interventions, and we're talking about like targeted treatments, like we're we're focusing on the anxiety disorder, or the clinical depression, or the suicidality, like whatever it is that we're focusing on. Yeah, there are ways that you can measure that change. You have um, self-report assessments. You have um, you know computerized long uh, inventories. You have just asking them like, hey, how much did you drink? You know, like there are many ways in which you can. Uh, You can gauge change and um, and what I would say um, Resiliency right because you can maybe you wouldn't change but you would gain uh, you would kind of like uh, Level up on resiliency. Well, I did drink or I did have an impulsive episode But here's what I learned from that or and I also practice my coping skills I fell but I got myself up and here's how I did that that for me is more telling than then focusing too much on measuring change.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, one of the things that, that we do with our students is it, if we ever make an exception to that rule, uh, if they, they want to have a demon possessed character or something like that, the, the, the rule then is that's fine, but the story can't be about them overcoming that thing. So it's like, if I have a character that's demon possessed, I, I, they can't choose to be on demon possessed, you know. So, but that 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 affliction, if you will, uh, definitely um, it it affects them. It affects the decisions they make and that sort of thing. So, I, I like what you're saying in, in terms of um, really researching these things and understanding how they work and how they affect characters. Um, one question that I have for you, uh, uh, something that that we too struggle with our students, uh, is just developing the antagonistic force in the story. And oftentimes our, our students think that a good antagonist is just a, just a roadblock. It's just you know, a character that just kind of gets in the way. And uh, what we really try to do is, is encourage our students to develop antagonists that are, are, uh, have strong, compelling moral arguments, that uh, uh, their points actually maybe make some sense. We can actually maybe agree with some of the things that they're trying to do. We just don't necessarily agree with their methodology. And I'm curious, especially in the realm of, of Batman, Um, How do the stories change in terms of the villain of the day? Mm -hmm. Like who Batman is facing internally? What's going on inside of Batman? Does the villain that he's faced, does does that change the nature of the story?
2: It does, absolutely. And when we started the Arkham Sessions it really was first that idea, like each week we're going to focus on a villain and talk about, um, you know, the, the what motivates that villain and um, what what Batman is fighting against, right? So that one against the other kind of thing. And certainly, as a psychologist, I was really focused on it. and And what is their diagnosis or what, you know? And I think over time we got a little bit more sophisticated with that. Like, well, we we learn a lot more from. Uh, from from pulling away from that kind of diagnostic perspective and think more about like why is this happening mm. why is this story being told what isn't you know we it, and Brian my co-host is great about this like thinking about what the writer wanted to do mm. I get lost in like well Batman <laughs> as if these people are real and he's like well let's think about what, what we think the writers mm. had in mind mm. for this um and we know it, you know it was it was developed um as as a kids show but um of course it it really surpassed that simple audio. You know, the, it was much more than that, and certainly much deeper than that. And and so while we while we focus on villains, something that I prefer to think about is like, well, what happened? And, and this is something that we do in our field. We're moving away from what's wrong with you mm-hmm. to asking the question, what happened to you? Wow. What were your experiences? Help me understand why you're making the decisions you're making, and then I won't judge you for that. I I shouldn't ever judge you for it anyway, but once I learn about someone's story and their own narrative, then I'm in a better position to say, like, you know what? I would probably do the same thing. If those things happen to me in the nature that they happen to you, in the order that they happen to you, I I would probably be drinking as well or I would probably be pushing people away as well or you know So it helps me as a psychologist to better understand and yeah I mean absolutely mental health disorders are biological in nature just as they are environmental, but that um, That doesn't take away from those experiences. So I take the same approach with um, with each and every villain and and the animated series because they had such great writers, will give you a history. I mean, mm-hmm. they, were, they were one of the first um, to to talk about um, Two-Face's origin or Mr. Freeze's origin. And so you, you understand their motivations. Mm-hmm. And so it blurs the line a lot of times where we're wondering, you know, maybe this isn't a villain after all. Mm-hmm. Like maybe mm-hmm. Killer Croc is misunderstood yeah. and is constantly treated like a monster. And so all he all he knows is to cope like a monster and he succeeded. Well, why not? And furthermore, we always tie it back to the deficits that Batman is Mm -hmm. struggling with. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, the golden thread with Batman, of course, well, my co-host would say uh, the golden thread is that he's crazy. (laughs) Um, And I would say, no. Well, I I. Apologize all the time for Batman's behavior. He'll do some weird things. You'll see him uh, over the course of the show. He'll be, you know, in in a tree spying on poison ivy or like doing some <laughs> wacky things. And I'll excuse every single one of those behaviors. I'm like, that's totally normal. Um, it's adaptive. <laughs> Uh, but but typically we'll draw to like, well, what motivates you? know, he's supposed to be the hero. Right. right. He's the yeah. good guy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes he makes poor decisions. He treats uh, Dick Grayson pretty badly yeah. in that show. Um, and he doesn't he's not able to hold a romantic relationship. I mean, there are many things where, where we keep asking ourselves like, well, what's going on with him? Yeah. We're supposed to see him as, you know, to go back to your question, like he is supposed to be the hero. Mm. Um, we're supposed to have a clear understanding of who the antagonist and who the protagonist um, are in the show. and and we're that's really blurring the lines. And so oftentimes i'll I'll draw back to better understanding Batman through that villain's motivation. Mm. So, um, you know, a, a lot of times we'll see this parallel with the villain developing some kind of um, insecurity or developing uh, some kind of evil mission and and you'll see what how Batman is responding to it. And I bring up the Joker as like one of the most common um, examples of that dynamic where Batman's constantly afraid that he's going to be like the Joker. Mm-hmm. So he constantly needs to um, remind himself that he's different than the Joker. But yet he always wants to really wants to be close to the Joker. Any chance that he gets Uh Um, Christmas with the Joker, uh, I think the second or third episode we did. uh, Poor Dick Grayson is just trying to spend Christmas Eve with his father figure. And the entire time, uh, Bruce is like, we need to get out there on the streets. Something bad is going to happen. And he's really wishing he runs into the Joker because Uh he he really uh, he's really thirsty Uh for that activity that um, that risk that need to kind of get that out and he also needs a reminder that he is not like that yeah. so it's this kind of weird dynamic where I wouldn't necessarily say that, He's all good, or that he's clearly the good guy here.
0: Absolutely, I, that's uh, this for those of you listening. This is really good stuff in, in terms yeah. of developing your antagonist. Really. I, we, um, I, in fact, I might even use that little section, sure. and, and I do a lecture <laughs> on antagonists, and I absolutely just love it. it. And part of the reason why is so oftentimes our students just make the good guy and the bad guy so ultra good and ultra bad, and that may work in fairy tales mm-hmm. it may work in certain mythic stories but i think what what really makes the batman series whatever iteration you're looking at so compelling is the fact that those lines are so blurred mm-hmm. i love the fact that i can look at a protagonist and say he's he's good but he's messed up and here comes the bad guy, and he's bad. But wait a second, he's got a really good argument, and 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 that right there is is what makes drama. That's yeah. that's the nature of drama, and I think that Batman's just done such a such a great job of marrying really, really masterfully uh, the genre of drama into into the, the comic book world, and and uh, and that's great. So so many of our students, their stories end up falling apart about halfway through, and oftentimes it's because they don't really understand the bad guy. It's it's they've kind of got the good guy figured out, but they just, they, again, they think of the antagonist as sort of that roadblock, instead of this being a, a, a character who is truly challenging the main character in a very specific internal kind of way. Um, and if you don't understand that relationship, the relationship between good guy and bad guy, um, your story doesn't work.
1: Well, you, you always use, you know, uh, when you talk about the antagonist, you always use that clip, that brilliant clip from The Dark Knight where, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, Batman and the Joker are, are in this kind of right. holding room together. And, you know, the Joker really gives a pretty compelling Very speech compelling. about the way the world is. Yeah, And you can't really argue with anything. You know, he's actually got the better argument yeah. about the truth about society. And yet, we 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 as human beings we can't fully buy into it and support it. We say yes, but we have to try and be better than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I really like what you're saying there, you know, as well, because I feel like that sort of nuance doesn't come uh, to to writers except through understanding how human beings exactly, behave, which yeah. is so important. Uh, it's why we have, uh, again, a, a psychologist on the show, uh, <laughs> today is, is to help us better understand how human beings, um, behave. It, it, they say something about the Joker, you know, in that film that has always struck me. Uh, I, I believe it's Alfred that says some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. And can you, can you talk a little bit just about the Joker and about, uh, you know, who because in my mind, he's kind of an archetype for a certain type of person in the world. He's amplified. It, mm-hmm. Is it's definitely an extreme case, right? But but who is why is the, why do we love the Joker? Mm-hmm. Why do we see the Joker as someone who, um, even though we disagree with a lot of what he does, we we're we,
2: obsessed we're with him. Obsessed Absolutely, with yeah, him. yes. Yeah. And I mean, I think, and and by the way. It, you know, Batman oftentimes is the surrogate for us. You know, like he is right, also right. kind of obsessed with the Joker. Yeah. And he gets to do stuff to him and with him. And there's a, you know, there's a lot of interaction there. And, and so to to follow with what, follow up with what I said about Batman wanting to be close to him, I think we have that same desire, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be the Joker. Like right. 99.9% of us, we don't want to be that. Yeah. Um, but there are elements... Of the Joker that we're really fascinated with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, you're right. He's he's I don't know that he's really multidimensional. He's this by definition. He's just this really unpredictable, chaotic, Mm -hmm. um, homicidal, violent guy who on top of that uh, has this like humorous, um, you know, almost nonsensical. Like there's this almost lighthearted, like life and death those things don't matter Mm -hmm. in the very first appearance in the comics uh the joker accidentally stabs himself i think he's trying to stab batman he accidentally stabs himself with a knife (laughs) and it cracks him up like he almost (laughs) kills himself and he finds his own death humorous and Mm -hmm. so that kind of Mm -hmm. teaches us like this guy is really really wanting you know i talked uh, earlier about being thirsty like he is really wanting to to be thrilled Mm -hmm. to the extent that he would die for it right Mm -hmm. so I think again we don't want to be him but like Batman we kind of want to be around that that's very exciting that's very interesting we're very curious and there are parts of us uh you know we have moments we're human we're impulsive we make bad decisions we want to see something we want to see someone be in pain Mm -hmm. um we don't like to admit it but it's just human nature Mm -hmm. and so there are some elements of us sort of wanting to vicariously see that happen and and i always say to my co-host like any chance he gets batman will cozy up real close to the joker Mm -hmm. To participate mm-hmm. in that thrill-seeking mm-hmm. and to participate in something subversive, yes. but not actually do it, and it also allows him to realize, I'm, you know, that's not me. Yeah. Uh, there is a clear distinction between me and what I do, and and this chaotic Joker, yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Joseph Campbell, um, in the Hero's Journey, talks about this archetype of the trickster, and I, I feel like the Joker really fits this idea of the trickster because. Campbell said basically that one of the functions of the trickster is to act as a mirror, uh-huh. that basically the closer the trickster gets to us, the more of ourselves we see, and that we never actually get better or, or, or improve in life without a trickster, without a trickster that we can see, oh man, I've got mud on my face, and I couldn't have seen it had this mirror not been so close, so let me wipe that away now. So... I always see the Joker as again this trickster archetype. That the closer he gets to Batman, the more Batman is able to see himself and, and to say, "Ah, there's what I don't want to be. There's what I do want to be." And, and the vision of himself is is clarified the closer the Joker gets.
2: Mm-hmm. That's yeah. excellent. I've I've not heard that before, but I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: There's there's so much uh, that. Uh, uh, I feel like you know Campbell based most of his theories and ideas off Carl Jung, who is you know such an important figure in, in modern psychology. And again, it's it's one reason I feel like story and, and story structure and, and script writing and, and storytelling in general uh, is is just the the beautiful cousin of uh, psychology and depth psychology. And to really understand writing, we have to understand death psychology mm-hmm. of human beings. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Just one more question just to change topics just sure. a little bit. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I'm always fascinated with in terms of films is, uh, you know, I, of course I love uh, well-made cinema and, and cinema that's uh, you know, critically revered. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also interested in just why people go see certain films. Um, even if a film is critically panned and it's terrible, but it ends up making a billion dollars at the box office, we can complain about that, but at the end of the day, I'm still wondering why did people want that? Why did they need that? and i'm just curious uh, from from a psychologist's point of view in terms of the superhero stories and it's there's an onslaught of superhero stories that we're seeing in the in the cinemaplex sure. right now yeah. and sure we could argue that it's just business it's just it just you know sells tickets but let's face it it sells tickets because people there's something there they want so just what is it about superhero stories that you think just is it what what itch is being scratched by these superhero stories in culture
2: that's an excellent question, and I'm I'm also noticing there's a lot of um, I don't know like inter superhero fighting like we mm-hmm. we want like Batman versus Superman obviously Civil War like mm-hmm. we we not only want superhero movies but we want to see them fight each other yeah. so uh, and this probably is a more recent thing but I I don't know that I have the answer to that I, I feel like that is a more collective cultural thing happening right mm-hmm. now. And personally, I, I like superhero stories, so I'm mm-hmm. going to go to just about every one of these movies, whether they're good <laughs> or bad. Uh, and, you know, live action or animated. I, I love to see them. Um, but I don't I don't truly know about what's happening in the minds of the larger cultural audience like yeah. what this is all about. Yeah. Um, I don't. What do you guys think?
1: I just wonder, you know. It- Again, I always go back to Campbell, and, and <laughs> Campbell um, uh, talked to quite a bit about comics, uh, specifically Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Superman was uh, the the comic that he gravitated towards. He kind of took uh, this Jungian idea of our need, the same things that motivate men towards religion, and I say men mm-hmm. in the general sense, sure. men and women, mm-hmm. uh, towards religion, that we see these as the new gods, mm-hmm. which even Jack Kirby, you know, then mm-hmm. went ahead and mm-hmm. created a comic right. called the new gods. And and so, in, in some sense, um, the same reason that the Greeks created these stories about these gods that that fought each other, that loved each other, that created children with each other, that um, would destroy each other, There, there was... This theory that he had—that basically, if we could see those who are stronger, more powerful, and, and supernatural to us work out their issues and go through the same things mm. that we go through—that mm. there must be meaning to ours because we assign all this meaning. Sure. That the reason why, uh, you know, that um, uh, the reason why that Hades drug uh, Persephone down to the underworld and that Demeter. Uh, then uh, um, became so uh, upset about that, well, Demeter was the goddess of the harvest. And so every year when Persephone has to return to the underworld, she stops the harvest from growing, which is why we experience winter. Mm-hmm. So you have all these ideas about gods and superheroes that if there's meaning to their stories, it must mean there's meaning to us. Sure. Yeah. And so I feel like that the, the the rise of superhero stories is greatly due to the fact that the industrial revolution has pushed us towards searching for meaning where we used to find meaning and saying, I'm a farmer. I go put things in the mm-hmm. dirt and, and things grow out of it and people eat because of me. Yeah. Now it's. I go to this factory and I make this little plastic part and I have no idea Mm. what uh, this plastic part means Mm. or or what this does. So no longer do our occupations or recreational activities bring us any sort of meaning. So we were searching for meaning in ways that we never have before because our lives seem to have Mm. less meaning. Wow! But that's wow! Just one that's yeah, yeah but I, don't
0: know. I I wow. was gonna say that that superheroes wear really cool costumes, <laughs> and that's that's why we all like superheroes. Yeah, it's I was... the capes. That's what it is. It's the capes. It's also the capes. Yeah. Okay. Also... I
2: was gonna say that we just like watching them punch each other, um, but the capes are cool too. Right. Yeah,
0: I, I, it's just I've just been fascinated with it. It's just been something that I've I've thought is really interesting. Um, and it, it, I come from a religious background, and so it's it's sometimes difficult for me to separate all that out because the the default for me is oh this is this is our version, this is humanity's version of the gods. Um, but uh, something you said at the very beginning that um, uh, really struck me too was just this idea of narrative and story bringing meaning to our lives. Um, Full confession here, so I'm, I'm, I'll just admit this. Uh, I, I was watching Back to the Future <laughs> last year, <clears throat> a film I've seen hundreds and hundreds of times, and it's just a brilliant piece of writing. It's just such an absolutely exquisitely written film. And you know I know exactly what's going to happen. I know every beat of the story. And about five minutes into it, I started getting really emotional mm-hmm. <laughs> as I was watching this film. Mm-hmm. And even and then I started laughing at myself. It's like, why are you getting emotional during back to the future? And I realized there was just some beauty... To this idea of I, I'm seeing the setup at the beginning, and I know how it's all going to turn out, and I know that every single one of these pieces of the setup means something, and so the satisfying ending to that film made all the confusion and chaos of the beginning worth it. Yeah. It gave meaning yeah. to it, yeah. and 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 I think that we see that so much in superhero films too. You know, this the the resolution of chaos being resolved in in some sort of way. So.
1: I'm curious, you you said that you've worked before, um, Drea, with uh, uh, veterans who have come back uh, from war situations. Is any of the therapy that you you do with them in trying to help them find meaning with what they were fighting about or or maybe they've lost a limb or something and trying to find meaning to that? Does any of that therapy have to do with meaning?
2: It all, I would say. Mm -hmm has to do with meaning, um, and it, uh, what we're learning about the recent uh, conflicts, the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, is that those those conflicts are so different than the ones before, and we always say this about war, like the next one is, is different than the one before, but um, the deployments are longer, um, they're more frequent, there is such a, a, a different culture about this particular war, and the um, the nature of reintegration or reentry, if you will, is so interesting, and yeah, we're seeing a lot of men and women return with these complete shifts in their worldview, uh, and it has a lot to do with exactly what you're saying. This meaning, I was trained well. I am a powerful person, or I was empowered with this um, this wonderful training. I was equipped with the knowledge. I was equipped with the the physical um, you know ability to get out there and do my job I mean this was my job mm-hmm. and then I'm here after serving and all of what I thought was right and moral isn't anymore mm-hmm. so then there's num there's a number of different variations but but and I hate to generalize but it typically when we're working with someone who is seeking mental health services it's it's typically because there is this dismantling of their coping system like i i really had a complete shift in worldview. whether it was um having to do with let's say identity i used to have value i don't have it anymore mm-hmm. morality mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was a good person, but I did bad things. Mm, so, am uh-huh. I a bad person now? What does that mean about me? Um, Spirituality—you mentioned uh-huh. religion, spirituality. I believed one thing; um, it was so meaningful to me. But uh-huh. I've seen such horrific things. I can no longer believe in those things yeah. anymore. Yeah. So, multiple dimensional and and profound shifts in worldview, s- to the point where the personhood—you know—that that person's identity is completely changed, and. And that you know nothing about the classic diagnostic post-traumatic stress disorder. It, I you know n- notice I didn't say like well and the flashbacks and the nightmares and, <laughs> I mean that's all happening too yeah, right? Yeah. But yeah. but diagnostically that's the, you know that is what the Department of Defense is looking for. Like did you do you meet this criteria, this checklist, this and that? But we're not really addressing the other huge shifts in their psychology that that we need to. Um, to better understand, to embrace, and to help folks regain their resiliency. Uh-huh. So um, I would probably argue that meaning is is really at the core of their recovery, for uh-huh. sure.
0: Uh-huh. Wow.
1: Um, one more question just about that, that sort of thing in, in, in meaning. Um, I, I don't know if you saw... Um, Uh, The movie that came out last year, Room. Did you by chance? I did. I did. It's one of our favorites. Yeah, Jeremy and I were just floored by this film. It just meant so much to us. And one thing we've talked about quite a bit—I don't know that we've ever talked about it on the podcast—but one thing that we've talked about quite a bit is, you know, uh, spoiler for those who haven't seen—if you haven't (laughs) seen uh, Room—forward ahead, sixty seconds on the podcast. (laughs) uh, But in that film, in that story. after she gets out of the room and she's went back and living with her parents, um, she tries to kill herself at one point because it seems to me at least just as a again, a armchair, uh, armchair psychologist, yeah. um, that at least in that room she had meaning, you know, she had a purpose. My purpose is to take care of my son and get out of this room. And once she had done that, it was like, she didn't have a purpose anymore. Um, can you talk a little bit just about, you know, purpose and, and, and the, the psychology of people maybe? Because most, most writers at some point in their career will write something about a character that experiences this deep traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. And honestly, most stories Jeremy and I have found fall apart mm-hmm. after the character gets out of the traumatic situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the story falls apart because it's like, well, that was really all I had to say was how tough this was, you know. Um, but that story really picks up and shows how how life is really harder. Yeah, after absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely.
2: Uh, those are those the demon possessed stories as well. <laughs> everyone <laughs> they, they everyone just be, yes. wants yeah. to write about being, being possessed by demon. And yet I've not read a single story about um, demon possession. <laughs> just
0: just come read some of our, okay. our scripts at school. You we'll send you a few. <laughs> <Be depressed. laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, the lessons we learn are typically, you know, immediately following that hardship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's, it, this is actually a really tough concept because uh, currently I work with a mental health agency that serves children, adolescents, young adults. And, and so we, we really, do want to educate around the, this idea of resiliency that resiliency isn't just something that like you were just born with it and you're uh, strong uh-huh. and you have grit, right? It, yeah. It's about the definition of resiliency is bouncing back. Mm. Uh-huh. So you had to bounce back from something. Uh-huh. What did you bounce back uh-huh. from? Wow. Um, and so why we struggle with that concept is that we certainly don't want to prescribe hardship on people mm-hmm. or say that like you can't be strong unless you've you know, fallen down that hole and bats uh, flew on your face (laughs) and, and, you know, like we're not saying that that has to happen to you. But uh, it certainly is a huge part of your development as a resilient person. Mm -hmm. And so what you're speaking to really is about um, what we call post-traumatic growth Mm. and that's uh, learning from that fall, right? Mm. And understanding how you're a, a stronger person from that. But it, I don't necessarily want to focus on like, well, you're, you're stronger physically or psychologically, but that you have a, a more complex understanding of why right. that thing happened. Mm-hmm. So if folks uh, understand or interpret an event as um, being related to their, um, you know, it's their fault or they're to blame or God is punishing them or, you know, if they internalize it that way, they won't be as successful coming out of it. The interpretation of the hardship is really what's important. Mm. And so post-traumatic growth really needs to come from that dynamic and complex and and yet, um, what I would say is more of a strength-based oriented way to look at that thing that happened. And now I'm flawed, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one's perfect, right? So now those things happened or several things happened, several bats, it wasn't just one bat, Mm -hmm. it's like multiple bats. I'm, I'm now flawed mm-hmm. or if you will, you know, like I, I've experienced something that I'm not proud of or I don't want to ever experience again, but I have a, a much better understanding of how to get back on my feet mm-hmm. after that. And, and that's a skill that you can't teach, you know, you, it's experiential.
0: Mm. Wow. Mm. That's so good. So so, good.
1: So good. <laughs> again, I, I fear you don't know. How good at talking about story you are because, honestly, these, these are the conversations that we have about characters and about story and that we try and figure out and, like, well, what's true about yeah, and yeah. this situation? And I
2: can give you a really practical answer to what you asked about yeah. meaning. Um, I, I was actually asked earlier this week about interventions that might – Utilize superhero narratives like how is that helpful? Mm -hmm. And uh, while I don't think it's it's helpful for everybody certainly for folks who don't like superheroes Mm -hmm. This this wouldn't be for them But the example I give is that with with a lot of interventions that we do with mental health in particular um, we make historically we've made this analogy with like a toolbox Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you wrench, your hammer, you have various things, um, leveler. And notice I'm struggling to understand what's in a toolbox because that symbolism isn't useful. It doesn't yeah, have meaning for yeah. me. I didn't really carry around a toolbox as a kid. Um, but if you told me, is "This is your utility belt? Let's talk about what's in your utility belt. Uh, and I'll better understand this because I play Arkham Origins and Arkham City. And I know that Batman has a line launcher, a cryptographic sequencer. Mm. He's got his batarang. He has various tools. And gadgets that are going to keep him safe get him out of trouble um, you know help him to problem-solve and so that analogy for me if I were a patient kind of trying to understand this notion of having my own utility belt and uh, and, and being able to help myself and being able to be resilient and resourceful I need I need to really get that and mm-hmm. if if a therapist was working with me and was referring to this toolbox I, I guess it would kind of work but it wouldn't have as much meaning yeah. as the utility belt would
0: yeah well and I think that our, our most of the writers that we work with myself when I write I have so much trouble um, externalizing internal conflict how do I get what's going on inside my character outside that I can photograph it I can take a picture of it and I can tell the the story visually and just even you talking about the utility belt and how in this in a situation of intervention you could talk about how each one of those means something um, I think that even from a writing perspective that can be so beneficial that we don't arbitrarily create these things on our characters we don't just say let's just put a cool tool you know utility belt on them and right. everything's great it's like no these things actually have actually have meaning and purpose yeah so that's really great
1: it's yeah it's so funny because Actually, you. How often do you hear about a writer's toolkit? And I can right. use that analogy. Right. And then until you said yes. that, you're I you're right. I don't, if you're a writer, you've probably never owned a toolkit because yeah, those are two different types of, of people. And so it's gonna make me next time I want to say writer's toolkit, I'm gonna say writer's utility. Yeah. Because that is actually a stronger metaphor. Yeah. Uh, for For. The most more writers that I know would get that metaphor yeah. more so than a toolkit. Because I'm like you, I'm like, yeah, level. I, is, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, so good, so good. Well, it, we're about out of time, but um, Dre, Dreya, uh, tell people where they can find you online, and uh, tell tell people where they can connect with you.
2: So the best way to interact with me would be Twitter. I'm at Arkham Asylum Doc on Twitter, and my website is UnderTheMaskOnline.com, where uh, our podcast, The Arkham Sessions, is housed. We're also a part of Fanbase Press. I feel, is can I even say, is it time to say that? I, should I, I even, uh, should this I? This comes out in two weeks, so by then okay. it, should be, it should be good. So yeah. And yeah. they go by fan, it's going to be Fanbase Press? Fanbase Press, Okay. yeah. The Arkham Sessions podcast is also on the Fanbase Press Network, so you can find uh, that on their website. And then finally, we're on IMSI. We have an IMSI community, and you can find that on uh, imsi.com forward slash Arkham. And Imzy is... Um, Essentially, it's a very kind of positive oriented feedback system. It's a community where folks can go to talk about episodes, talk about characters, um, relate to each other in regards to the podcast, in regards to Batman and psychology. And um, it's it's what we're considering, like kind of the more, I don't know, safer place than something like Reddit.
1: Yeah, I plug for Imsi also because um, it is a great place to have a conversation uh, and you're exactly right. Uh, you're, you're not going to run into the dark shadow of the internet on MZ <laughs> yes. the same way that you might on uh, Reddit. So, uh, Jeremy, where can people uh, find you online?
0: Yeah, the best place to reach me is Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at jared And I'm also very active on Facebook, and that's just facebookcom backward slash jared
1: You can reach me on Twitter at John J o h n K b u c h e r. Also, check out my blog at welcometothesideshow.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on the Inside Out Story Podcast. Keep telling stories.
2: This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story Podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.